Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 12th November 2015. Have a listen please. Welcome dear listeners to this week's afternoon satsang offering a humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet we welcome you as always this is that night of our afternoon satsang series where we dwell upon the ramakataraswaini the story of ramayana as written and given to us by bhagwan we will begin by taking the name of lord shri rama that sweet nectar's name at the end of it we will resume this week's satsang on the ramakataraswaini श्रीराम राम रामे रामे मनोरमे सहस्रनाम तत्ल्यम रामनाम वरानने Sairam, dear listeners, we are listening to the story of Ramayana, the story of Lord Shri Rama as penned by Swami because at a subtle level, light symbolizes wisdom and wisdom is the light that dispels the darkness of ignorance. And at this spiritual level, what better way to dispel ignorance than to study literature that has been penned by our beloved Swami. Keeping this thought in mind, let us realize that we are indeed very blessed and with that feeling of being blessed, let us begin this week's Ramakatha Rasavahini. Last time, we had reached the point where Rama crowned Sugriva as the king of Kishkinda, having killed Wali. And Wali is just not killed. He is actually redeemed by Rama. Rama blesses Wali and redeems his life. So now Sugriva has been crowned as king and he announces that the search for Mother Sita will begin after the monsoon because the monsoons make it very difficult to conduct any search. And thus, Lord Rama and his brother Lakshmana retire to a cave in the outskirts of Kishkinda because it is Lord Rama's vow that he will never enter a city during the period of his exile. In keeping with his vow, in keeping with his word, he stays in the cave. In the meantime, the Vanaras are now happy. Their fortunes seem to have changed. They are now under the protection of Rama. Sugriva is back as emperor. So they indulge in some revelry and merrymaking and they pass the monsoon indoors. The few months of monsoon pass and soon it is the time of early winter, the Sharad Ritu as it's called and when it begins Lord Sri Rama in the cave decides that it is now time to get back to business
years, if I can use that term, and start the search for Sita. In order to do that, he summons Lakshmana in his presence. Right. It's an interesting detail, uh, especially here where he says this four months of the monsoon, nothing can be done, so we'll wait for it to get over. If you read some of these mythological stories, especially written by modern writers, if you read the Krishna Avatar series written by K. M. Munshi, mm-hmm. and I think more recently, a lot of youngsters are taking to rewriting these epics of Ramayana and aspects of the Puranas and all that. Mm-hmm. They would always come across this part where these four months actually were considered a period where you can't do anything, no traveling can be done. And uh, many of these sages who used to spend their summers in the Himalayas, then during the winters they would come to the plains and they would travel to kingdoms. We saw about uh, Vishwamitra who comes into the kingdoms of Mithila and uh, Ayodhya during certain times. A lot of these groups would stop traveling during those four months of the monsoon. Hmm. And many ways, even in kingdoms, these four months of monsoon would be used for spiritual activities because you cannot move around. A lot of things which can be done by staying in a place would be taken during this time. That's why when you see the Navratri celebrations, we call it the Sharad Navratri. You know, there are so many hmm. Navratri that Navratri which comes during this period between the monsoon and the winter is supposed to be very special. If you look at it, technically it's it's a beautiful thing to study when Swami says that in Kali Yuga, the best way of worship is Namasmarna. You know, that period of tapas and that period of yagnas and doing yagas is over. I think it's also because of this because we have overcome that limitation which probably seasons put on our movement and on our daily activities. Hmm. You know, in those days because of those restrictions, automatically you had nothing else to do but, you know, the ancients had designed our schedule in such a way that these times you celebrate these festivals which are more intense, which require you to spend more time in worship. Now because we have overcome those limitations it is more important that worship becomes part of our everyday life. When you're commuting in your train or your bus, you chant Swami's name. When you're sitting and doing something else, when you're waiting for a probably in, in a doctor's office for an appointment or something, there you sit and do Namasmarna. That is why even technically speaking, it's clear why in Kali Yuga it's more easy to do Namasmarna than to sit and do any of these kind of intense activities for a long period of time. And this theme of Namasmarna that you just now spoke about, I think it will keep occurring throughout today's discussion because today's discussion, I think we will be entering into what is known as the Sundara Kandam. The Sundara Kandam of the Ramayana is very, very popular. It is one of the most read Kandams among all. In fact, when they have a seven-day Parayanam on the Ramayana, many times all the seven days are spent only in the Sundara Kanda. Interestingly, the Sundara Kanda is all about Hanuman, the devotee of Lord Rama, and not about Rama. So, though technically it is called the Ramayana Parayana, it is actually a Parayana on Hanuman. And I think it is easy to understand the reason why. You know, sharing a personal experience and learning. A few years back, when I felt that I should do something to embark on the spiritual quest, I thought one of the things in my agenda should be reading spiritual books. And then I thought, Swami himself has authored so many books, why not read it? I took Swami's books and started reading. But you know, as I started reading, I started reading mainly some of the Vahinis. There was the Satyasai Vahini, one of them that I remember. And the Satyasai Speaks, that is Swami's discourses. Honestly speaking, as I started reading, I noticed that I couldn't read these for more than about 15-20 minutes or half an hour each day. Just like I would read a novel, I would read for about 3-4 hours a day to complete the book. I noticed that I'm unable to do that with Swami's books. And you know, I'm of course not assigning any blame to uh, the author or the books. It is definitely lack of 
ability to understand on my part and I also feel to appreciate that you need time because you know Prem in the Satya Sai Speaks and in the Vahinis are statements where one statement is enough for you to mull over for a day for a week for a month and learn lessons from it it is like that it is so potent it is not for light loose easy reading though you can of course do it it's better than reading some other nonsense it is better to read this only as light reading but if we have to benefit we have to do detailed reading you know that was when I picked up this autobiography of a yogi and I began to enjoy that and I began to read it continuously first I felt guilty you know I felt what is this I am enjoying a book written by Paramahamsa Yogananda but I am not enjoying a book written by my own Swami whom I love so much today when I look back I feel this happened because if we read Paramahamsa Yogananda's book it is the journey of a seeker and we are able to empathize and feel one with him because he commits the same mistakes we commit he has the same kinds of doubts erupting in his mind like we have and you know he is having the weaknesses and he is having those moments of strength just like us and because of that empathy I am able to enjoy that and I feel yes yes I can you know I can feel one with this but when I read Swami's it makes me only sit in awe I am not able to empathize with it because what I am is a far cry from what is being described there so Swami's books are more like putting forward an ideal a goal a level that one has to attain uh, while reading these kind of books is something that makes you feel empathy with and helps you to you know evolve kind of so now Sundarakanda when we read about the experience exploits of Hanuman. You know, Hanuman is not even a human. He is a monkey. And Swami often compares our mind to that of a monkey mind. The mind is a very, 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 very powerful tool and it has the capability to take you to the highest levels. It has the capability to drag you down to the deepest abysmal depths. And Hanuman, a mere monkey, once you read what he is capable of achieving by taking the name of the Lord, when focused on the name of the Lord, it certainly serves as an inspiration. While we read the stories of Rama, we may often be just left awestruck saying, wow, only Rama can do this. But that's about it. But when we read about Hanuman, we feel, if Hanuman could do this, Hanuman is just a monkey. If he could do this with Rama's name, why don't I also do this? And therefore, you know, Hanuman seems to be like an easier goal to achieve than Rama. And therefore, we are able to feel more empathy with this. And this is my understanding. And that is why the Sundarakanda is very, very popular. Because just reading it inspires a person that, you know, however spiritually low I might be in the chain or whatever way I might be low, I can still achieve something with the Lord's name. Because Hanuman, being just a monkey, could achieve so much using the Lord's name. A couple of years back, I think more than a couple of years back, maybe uh, seven or six years back, we had that Ramayana Parayanam in uh, Swami's presence. Hmm. We had some phenomenal speakers. Of course, the talks were in Telugu. But a lot of them were so lucid and so descriptive in their speeches that even non-Telugu speaking people like us could understand a lot of what they said. And specifically, the person who spoke on Sundarakandam was phenomenal. Hmm. And in fact, about 20 minutes of his talk, he spoke about why this is called Sundarakandam. Right? <laughs> because he says, this of course, if you go by the kandams of the Ramayanam, this is the fifth kandam in that. So he goes on to say, let's say you have five children. Can you name one child Sundara and say that he is the most beautiful among the others? Mm. No, wouldn't it offend the other children? So he said, then why did Valmiki choose to name this kandam as Sundara kandam? When there are so many other kandams and if you look at it, he says there are 24 reasons oh. why this kandam is aptly named Sundara kandam. I think the most uh, superficial one is one of the names of Hanuman is I think Sundara. Mm. The many names which are given, something like that. There's of course the superficial meaning for that Sundara kandam being given that name. The other one is the description of nature as given in this kandam is supposed 
must be very very beautiful when valmiki uh, describes the ashokovana and all those things hmm. but apart from that he says this is the only kandam in the ramayana where there is no protagonist there is no heroine you know he says balakanda you have rama and sita in the ayodhya kanda again you have rama and sita in the other you know aranya kanda and all these you have rama and sita and later when you come to yuddha kanda again you have rama and sita but this is the only kandam where you don't have rama at all sundara kandam rama does not make his uh, appearance at all it's entirely focused only on hanuman the minute he makes his appearance it becomes the next kandam right and it is said that why do you have a part which does not have the hero in it and that becomes the most important part and you say that if you listen to this part it is like listening to the entire ramayana he says that you know this is the part where the devotee goes out and he does exactly what the lord would have done imagining the lord every moment you know keeps thinking of rama keeps thinking of rama and he keeps asking if rama was here what would he say if rama was here what would he do you know he comes across vibhishana what would rama's response be to a person like vibhishana so at every point hanuman does what rama would have done if he was in that place and he says that is one very very important reason why this is called sundrakandam and then of course he says that like suppose i, I give you the task of finding somebody in, in the crowd i say if you just come across this person just let me know that he is here hmm. i will give you the task if you know whom the person i'm looking for correct like i cannot tell arvin find out this person whom you don't know correct right and here is rama who is entrusting this job of finding sita to hold of the monkey uh, army none of them have seen sita and in fact he gives his ring to hanuman who's definitely not seen sita of course he already knows that it is hanuman who's going to find out where sita is so you're setting out a person on a task to find out something which is not seen and he says that that's precisely what every sadhaka is doing you know the final state of sakshatkar none of them have witnessed it's something you have no idea about in fact the mind will never be able to understand but you set the mind on a journey to find something which it can never understand so he says the sundarakandam is just typically as you said you know it's the journey of a devotee it's a journey of a sadhaka which clearly as you said we all can relate to much more than probably the journey of rama or for that matter even krishna or the other avatars it is like we can associate ourselves easier with the ascent of man to god rather than the descent of god to man because there the starting point we don't understand here the starting point we understand and dear listeners it will do us good that as we listen to today and tomorrow's ramkatha rasavahini we entirely keep this in the back of our mind that this is a journey of the mind towards its goal this is what swami also came to teach us as his first message was manasa bhajare guru charanam dustara bhavasagara taranam it is the crossing of the ocean the bhavasagara the ocean of existence by focusing the mind on god this is what happens literally in this kandam where hanuman crosses an ocean keeping his focus entirely on rama but all that begins in the cave as we described where rama summons lakshmana and says that you know the winter has begun and i think this is the time that we have to remind alert sugriva that it's time for him to redeem his promise again as swami has already described earlier it is not that rama needed sugriva's help to search for sita it is for the sake of hanuman you know that is another reason why sundarakandam becomes so important once we read the ramkatha rasavahini we realize that the friendship between rama and sugriva in itself was for the sake of hanuman swami writes that rama wanted to find hanuman and that is why he had to befriend sugriva because hanuman came under sugriva technically so during this visit though rama and lakshmana are staying outside the kingdom of kishkinda a regular visitor to their cave is hanuman because here also it becomes evident that hanuman finds greater joy in the presence of lakshmana and rama rama especially rather than reveling in the celebrations in the kingdom for him celebration for him joy means to be with rama though this part where swami has described is totally different from the way it is put in the valmiki ramayana it is very amazing and very inspiring because rama calls 
Hanuman and tells him that Hanuman please alert Sugriva about the same that it's time to begin the search and Hanuman is promptly back at Kishkinda he tells Sugriva that now all the celebrations all this merriment time for it is over stop all this stop indulging in pleasures and start focusing on the task at hand again if we go back to our analogy of the mind Swami says mind is a mad monkey body is a water bubble don't depend on the mind or body but Swami also says that the mind is the key that when it turns right towards God it unlocks you from bondage gives you liberation when it turns left towards the world it locks you into bondage and therefore here we have hanuman being like a mastermind because he has mastered the mind going and telling all other minds that is all other monkeys there that it is time to stop indulging in the senses stop merriment and start focusing on the lord's task and that is how swami describes in the ramkatha rasavahini that sugriva begins to issue orders for the search to begin Right. In fact, this particular part where, as you said, it's different in the Valmiki Ramayana from what it is in the Ramkata. Because there is this very important dialogue. I think when Lakshmana is sent to Sukriva to remind him about his duty of, you know, sending forth so that. So there it is Lakshmana who is sent. Right. Lakshmana hmm. who is sent. In fact, already Hanuman starts giving advice to Sukriva. You know, but Sukriva is, I think, so lost in either administration or in No, uh, as per the Valmiki Ramayana, he is lost in merriment. Right. Lost in merriment. And uh, that is when the moment Sukriva comes to know that Lakshmana is coming. So he, I think, sends his wife or he sends Wali's wife. I'm not sure of the detail. There is a very interesting dialogue which happens between Lakshmana and, uh, you know, the queen who comes to cool him down before he meets Sugriva. So Lakshmana is furious when he's coming. Right, Lakshmana is very furious and, and she is supposed to be a master of literature. So she, with her words, you know, magic of her words, cools down Lakshmana. And Lakshmana, from his part, he does not look at the woman face to face. So the whole dialogue happens where Lakshmana is looking down and shouting at her and she calms him down by saying that, you know, you're so great, you serve the Lord <laughs> and things like that. But yes, at the end of it, Sugriva is, you know, woken up and he's asked to start the search immediately. And uh, that's when he calls Angada, the prince and Hanuman and Hanuman is given the charge of the entire uh, search party and the other people who are put in, in charge, Angada and of course Jambavan who is one of the oldest generals in the army. He is a general and uh, he has the form of a bear. So it is the bear army and the monkey army that is setting out in search of Sita. And Swami writes that Hanuman headed towards the east from Kishkinda. If we remember what we had described, Kishkinda comes somewhere towards the south of the state of Karnataka near where the ruins of Hampi exist today. So from there towards the east, Hanuman and a group of followers go and there are Sushena and Mandava, other Vanaras who proceed towards the north. Similar a group proceeds towards the west and I think Jambavan and Angada and their party start towards the south. So in all the four directions, the monkey army and the bear army spread out and you know, it is really manmeram and hatme kaam for them. All their senses are focused on just searching for Sita while their minds are constantly engaged in the namasmarana of Rama. Rama Nama. Rama Nama goes on. You know, often we used to speak about how Swami would do some things, uh, apparently things which are redundant and at the same time, when we look back on the episode, we realized that it had far greater meaning. You know, Swami would do some, either a miracle or do some task in a circuitous and roundabout way and one would wonder why Swami had to do in that manner when an easier method a human mind can think of. We really do not understand the deep thinking that is there, the master plan that exists. Even as I was reading this, what I was thinking is, Rama of course knew Tita is towards the south and uh, for that matter, even Sugriva knew, right? Because he has seen the aerial chariot headed towards the south. So I was wondering what could be the possible 
reason why they have to send armies out in the north south east west direction definitely they would have been done under rama's command though they appeared to be sugriva's command it is definitely rama who is calling all the shots you know i just feel that it is possibly a way of nagar sankirtan what we do you know spreading the lord's name in all the four directions because as we shall see later on you know when jatayu's brother sampati comes or even later on when there is a demoness that is met everybody have already been told at such and such a point in time such and such a thing will happen that is when rama the lord supreme lord will be blessing you so they actually know it's almost like the future the whole ramayana has been written even before it is actually being enacted out it is literally like the shooting of a movie or an action of a drama the script is already ready so rama finding sita is already written it is definite and yet all these things are being done so in the drama of life i feel this might possibly be one of the things that rama achieved of spreading the name the vibrations of the name in all the four directions that is why though rama knew though the whole monkey army knew that sita is headed towards the south still the armies imagine at least hanuman could have been sent to the south because it's towards the south in fact rama has given his ring to give it to sita as an identification mark that Hanuman is my man. I mean, that is the confidence Rama has in Hanuman. As you said, it's amazing because Hanuman has never seen Sita, and I don't think there were photographs and all those days. But Rama has that confidence in Hanuman, and yet Hanuman is headed out towards the east. So this is what it occurred to my mind. There might be a hundred other reasons, but none of the actions that the Lord undertakes is without reason, and this definitely could be probably one of the reasons why they were headed out in all the four directions. Right, and I, I think uh, from the description what's given, even the parties which go in the east and the west, I think they. all converge towards the south that's how it yes. appears it though they like, start off in those directions right, it looks like they're sweeping it from that direction heading towards the south correct I mean, probably they might have thought that ravana is trying to trick them by going southwards and then <laughs> changing direction yes that's because another possibility that's precisely what rama did when he wanted to confuse the people of ayodhya when they were following him near that uh, right. guha's uh, place right exactly so he you know confusing tracks of the chariots so that they get confused and they don't follow him So probably that must have been one of the reasons and uh, then there is this very interesting episode because you know we can understand Hanuman being devoted to Rama we can understand probably even Sugriva being devoted to Rama after seeing his prowess but it it really is surprising how the Vanaras get that devotion hmm. right because they just see him as another king whom their king is befriended or something of that sort but why should they have devotion to Rama probably in the course of this search they came across many incidents which gave them this idea that he was not any ordinary king or any ordinary ally of their king because one of the episodes which come in this place is that of this lady you know they come across this broad lake where they find this sadhvi who is sitting that is hanuman and his retinue right hanuman and his retinue and uh, according to the uh, valmiki ramayan this is somewhere in the vindhya range uh, that's that where north east of right, kishkinda uh, exactly i think probably where the city of vishakhapatnam is uh-huh. uh, probably in, in little north of that north okay. of that i think yeah so that is where uh, they come across this lady and uh, this lady you know she she is surprised to see this vanra army because she has been told that army of monkeys will come in search exactly you know she has been sitting in penance all the while across the lake she opens her eyes and suddenly she sees all these monkeys so she actually welcomes them she says oh monkeys you appear so tired so hungry and you know in the english ramkatha rasavahini when you read it is written oh you monkeys it might look like a, <laughs> a teasing term in english but i was just imagining because this is a translation of swami's work in telugu kotulara you know out of love that is how uh, she might have addressed so she says you all sit around and refresh yourself with these fruits you know she tells them to take a break and uh, all the monkeys are really surprised as to why would somebody welcome us so joyously what is the thing 
possibly this is another thing like as you said they witness so many things along the way this is another thing that they are witnessing as to when they are involved in ramakarya everybody becomes their friend now she says listen to my story she says i am actually the daughter of a gandharva a celestial being i am an apsara an apsara is a divine damsel she says my name is swayam prabha and though an apsara is supposed to be a woman with matchless beauty and we see stories of so many kings who are seeking apsaras as their uh, wives This apsara has only one desire in her life. She says that her desire was to see God as a man moving on earth. Because for whatever reason, apsaras are are supposed to be celestial beings and they're supposed to be able to meet with whether it is Vishnu, Brahma or anybody, you know. But I think there is some thrill when the Lord walks on Mother Earth as a in a human form. You know, we read about Vishwamitra, even sages and saints. Everybody seems to have this kind of a thirst and a thrill to watch Lord in the human form. <laughs> so she too had that desire and she wanted to see the Lord in the human form. That was when she was given a boon. You know, Brahma, the Creator, tells her that you be here alone and engage in your penance in course of time he doesn't say when this is another interesting thing i think we have seen it throughout the ramayana where people are assured that you will be given this by the lord but nobody is told when it shows that you need to have patience and perseverance we are very impatient when swami tells us that this will happen when swami when give us a date you know whatever we want a date we want everything fixed we don't give any scope for our own patience perseverance and our faith but that is exactly what the lord is searching for so brahma tells her you just wait here and engage in penance a time will come when a mighty monk ki army will come on the other side of the lake at that point in time it might have seemed like a very strange thing and then brahma says that they will be the army mm-hmm. who are working for the lord in human form and he even gives a name as rama so when you see them and then when she sees this monkey army that is when she talks to them and they are so thrilled hearing the story they narrate they narrate yes this is indeed true you know and they tell their end of the story how rama has come sita being kidnapped them searching for sita now hearing this this lady swayam prabha this damsel she is thrilled she says you know i am getting the thrill as if i have already had the darshan of rama because first thing is as predicted the monkey army has come and second now you have narrated the story of rama i am sure i am sure that i have to meet my divine destiny i will definitely have the darshan sparshan and sambhashan with rama and so just hearing these two points itself i am so thrilled i am i am already feeling as if i have had darshan and at this point in time she says you know i am able to see sita again this is another indication to show that this script has already been written and she indicates to hanuman and his retinue that sita is sitting surrounded in a beautiful garden and she is to the south this is possibly a kind of redirecting that she does because they have headed out as we said towards the east so she directs them back towards the south and she says there in the kingdom of lanka in ashokvana i am able to see sita that is where she is in the ramkatha rasavahini swami doesn't write further as to whether swayam prabha man to come and have rama's darshan or not but i think in that one dialogue that swami has written so beautifully she saying that the very fact that two points have been fulfilled one of the vanara hordes coming and second of you narrating about rama i already feel i have had darshan i think that is a very beautiful way an author's masterpiece way of writing and confirming that swayam prabha indeed had rama's darshan without actually going into the details of the same and this episode of swayam prabha is very very interestingly narrated in the valmi kiraman to hmm. of course swami says that in the bank of a river she is found and all that i mean she's got a very elaborate story of her own oh, okay. and uh, apparently when they go around searching in the vindhyas they almost go to a part where it's deserted there are no trees there's no water they're all very thirsty and that's when they come to the entrance of a cave and there hanuman sees the birds which are coming out of that cave 
their wings are wet I mean, this is the description uh, Valmiki. Valmiki gives and there are pollen grains on their beaks uh-huh. so they realize that okay there must be a water source there and there must be vegetation too because Correct. of which birds are coming out like this and then they start going into this cave that the cave its name was Samriksha cave or something like that and built by Mayasura he was one of the Asuras similar to the one who built Ravana's kingdom he is also supposed to be an architect of Parikrana. is it the same Maya who built Indraprastha for the Pandavas I think so I think it's the same Mayasura who is the devotee of Lord Shiva. Hmm. This cave was built by him and the best part is now modern people when they look back at the description of the cave it is very very similar to what we call the wormhole. Oh okay. You know a black hole which can act as a wormhole because they say this is a cave which once you go in you lose track of time where few minutes spent here is equal to a few hours or few days or months spent outside Hmm. and things like that and you you lose the the normal coherence which you have in the outside world you lose when you enter that. Many of the descriptions are very similar to what happens happens in a black hole. Okay. They say it absorbs light. A wormhole. Okay, huh. Wormhole. Wormhole is of course a, a way to connect between connect two between parts between of the, the universe. One. Right. So this is a more description of a black hole. They say light which comes here does not come out and mm. things like that. And that's why this this damsel is called Swayam Prabha. Self-lit. Self-luminous. Illumined. Right. Huh. That's what it is. Because when they go inside the dark, this one, they walk into you know miles and miles of dark cave. And when they go in, it's a self-lit cave inside there. And there they see it's almost like a city which is inside. And then the story goes that the Vandra is actually getting lost in that, in the pleasures that the city has, the fresh fruits, there is water, they're all dancing around. And it is only Hanuman who is actually balanced. He sees that, oh, this is a place where you lose your, you know, uh, sense of time. So then Swayam Prabha comes and of course the same description of what she says is still there. Okay. That she is waiting for the Vandra kingdoms and it is told that when she helps them, she will be redeemed. You know what, I feel Swami thought that we'll also lose our sense of time if going into elaborate description of this. That is another beautiful thing of the Ramkata Rasamani we have noticed, isn't it Prem? That Swami spends time and describes to great detail only those portions which actually touch the heart and inspire us to become better people, become better devotees. I think that's a very beautiful difference from a devotee point of view because Valmiki apparently has not given any kind of preference to anything or he just describes everything like a perfect historian. Whereas Swami is so beautiful. We have seen some parts where battles which have been described for pages get over within two lines in the Ramkatha Rasavahini and an exchange or a dialogue or a conversation which happened for a few minutes, Swami elaborates on it, gives commentary on it running into pages. So it is very clear that the Ramkatha Rasavahini is made for a devotee to learn how to express his or her devotion to the Lord, to his Lord or her Lord and that is done without too many distractions because for example the battle with Wali the emphasis is more on the dialogue that happens between Vali and Rama. The battle between Jatayu and Ravana is finished within a paragraph. So, Ramkata Rasavahini definitely lays emphasis on only those portions where one is able to develop devotion and develop wisdom on the characteristics and nature of a devotee as well as that of the Lord. Absolutely. And in fact, I was really surprised to have this mention of Swamibra because even though it's there in the Valmiki Ramayana, it is not a part of the general narrative of Ramayana when Ramayana is told. Frankly, I had never heard this name till today. We definitely hear the part of Jatayu's brother coming, which is very similar. We'll come to that in a while. But this episode of this Swayam Prabha and this lady, I mean, I don't remember. Even after reading the Ramakatha, I've not uh, registered it in my mind. So this is one interesting character. And as we said, probably these are the kind of indications which would have inspired devotion in the Vanras, you know, when they were going out in search of Mother Sita. So dear listeners, we'll take a short break at this point and we'll continue the story. And in fact, we are still not at the 
Sundarakandam. This is just as the previous Kandam is coming to an end, which is the Kishkinda Kandam. And probably after this break, with a little bit of narration, we'll come to the Sundarakandam. Ramana 
ಶರೀರದ ಬಾಬಗ ರಾಮನನ್ನು ಸ್ವಾಮಿ 
unaware ki laments as to the different things right from jatayu's killing to every event where it looked as if destiny is favoring the evil and that is why truth and goodness seem to be failing and right now he says that we have now come up against the sea and what do we do now more than anything i think there is that fear that we have to go back unsuccessful to sugriva and uh, he is fearing sugriva's displeasure sugriva's embarrassment sugriva's uh, you know failure because he is responsible for that and being the crown prince i think the responsibility weighs heavier on his shoulder that is when the sage council of jambavanta comes into good use jambavan comes and says that you know we have done our best we have not stopped for our own food and drink because that's what they have done and we have searched out with the name of rama on our lips everything possible we have done we have done our best so there's nothing to feel sorry or sad about and one more beautiful thing that jambavanta says is sugriva might not be aware of the efforts we have put in and the kind of feelings and the thoughts with which we have done this whole thing but angada don't worry rama knows rama knows and therefore rama will be happy with us even though we have failed in searching for sita rama will be happy because he knows that the efforts that we have put in have been pure selfless and have been tireless this is another beautiful statement for all of us to rejoice at because it shows that the lord is not one who seeks results it is not as if if you don't succeed god is unhappy and if you succeed he is happy there are times when even if you succeed god is not happy because god is happy only with the intention and effort if the intention and effort have been good then whether we fail or succeed god is happy with us converse also holds good if the intention and effort have not been good irrespective of the result even if we are successful god will not be happy with us that is why i feel probably it is said that everyone is equal in god's eyes because though each one has different capabilities different skills different talents on one scale where we are all equal is on the scale of we putting effort you are able to put in 100% i am able to put in 100% anybody else is able to put in 100% so irrespective of what we are able to achieve via our skills or talents our ability to put in 100% is equal and therefore all of us are equal in the eyes of god because god judges us not by the results that we produce but by the efforts that we put in and this is how jambavan comforts angada you know saying that you do your best god will do the rest and apparently god seems to do the rest because precisely at that point in time when jambavanta is consoling and comforting angada an old huge eagle hops on to the shore it's little funny looking because an eagle doesn't hop it soars in the sky but apparently this eagle's wings are clipped it's unable to fly but it's hopping it hops and comes to the shore and uh, it seems to be performing some kind of last rites in india we have this practice of performing the last rites for those who have passed either on the banks of rivers or on the shore of the sea and this eagle appears to be doing that and this eagle is what brings them hope on how to go further in their search right and this eagle comes to the seashore where the other monkeys are sitting and wondering what to do and uh, it introduces itself as sampati and sampati says that i am the brother of jatayu and uh, he explains also why he is you know hopping around and not flying he says that when they were young and they prime they had a contest where they decided to fly towards the sun and uh, that is when after a while jatayu returns back because it starts getting very hot and the wings are getting tired and getting scorched so jatayu returns so at that moment sampati becomes the winner so he says induced by pride and induced by that uh, sense of victory he keeps flying ahead in front towards the sun and at a point it comes where the wings are completely scorched and he falls down with a big thud on the earth and he realizes that he has lost his wings forever and he's also broken his legs and uh, he says that after that of course he hears about jatayu's death and jatayu goes away and when he falls down to the earth at that is a point in 
in time when a sage by the Chandrama. name Chandrama right. happens to pass that way, he sees the plight of Sampati. Sampati. And uh, at that point in time, you know, he decides that it is time to demolish the false sense of pride and ego that Sampati has. So, he gives a discourse to Sampati, you know. It's very strange because when you're down and out, you have no mood to listen to a discourse. But it is to the credit of Sampati that he sits and listens to Chandrama. And when he listens to Te Chandrama, all his ego dissipates. His pride is gone and he humbly submits himself to Chandrama. And Chandrama says, Oh, king of birds, listen to my words. <laughs> you know, I think this is poetry coming out from uh, Kasturi. He says, this might seem like a misfortune for you, but with God, even a misfortune is actually a blessing in disguise because you are destined to see Lord Narayana in human form. And you know, even before Rama has made his advent, all this is happening. Say Chandrama is telling Sampati that Lord Rama's consort will be carried off by Ravana to an unknown place. And then there will be an army of monkeys that will be proceeding to trace her whereabouts. And that is the indicator for you that your time of redemption has come because these monkeys, they will be the beginning of your good fortune where you will be able to prostrate yourself at the feet of Lord Narayana. And as a second indicator, Sampati says that Chandrama said that your wings will sprout forth at that time. Again, I think the strong message being sent here is it is the Lord who is the wings for each one of us because the moment the Lord enters in our lives, we are able to soar. It is said, Mukam Karoti the dumb is able to speak by the grace of the Lord. The lame is able to cross mountains by the grace of the Lord. Sampati is told that by the grace of the Lord, you will be able to sprout wings and fly. And uh, so, Sampati has been leading all his life, waiting for this moment. He has grown very old and aged. The elder brother of Jatayu, therefore, you know, Jatayu himself was an aged eagle when he fought Ravana, much more aged. He comes to know of the death of his brother Jatayu and probably having you know, collected the ashes from the pyre of Jatayu, that is the traditional practice where you take the ashes and offer it to the river or the sea. Possibly all this time, well, the Kishkinda Kanda happened, Sampati has been hopping towards the sea and finally has reached the sea. So this is the story that Sampati says. And uh, that is when the Vanaras begin narrating why they are here about right. how Sita has been kidnapped. At this point, actually, the Vanara says that, you know, cut your story short. <laughs> Please come to the point. We are in search of Mother Sita and... Uh, mm. If you can help us, do help us. Then Sampati says, you know, I really cannot help. Had I been in my prime, if I could fly and I could have helped you more. And uh, and he goes on to say that there was another incident which happened. That there was a time when I was very, very hungry and I couldn't go and fetch food for myself. So I call my son and I Superna. tell uh, Superna and tell him that, you know, get me some food. But this son goes out in search of food and does not return for a very, very long time. And in the meanwhile, Sampati is actually getting consumed by hunger and he's losing his temper. And after a very long time, the son returns with food. And he is so enraged with this delay that he is about to curse his own son. He says that, you know, why have you kept me waiting for so long? So the son humbly submits and he says, Father, before you, you know, take a hasty decision and curse me, listen to my side of the story. And he explains... Before actually explaining the story, he offers the food that he has. He offers the food and uh, Sampati, you know, before he. When I was reading this, I just got reminded (laughs) of what Swami Vivekananda says do not teach anything to a hungry man, spirituality to a hungry man, because hunger makes you very crazy. No, it's it's very, very true. In fact, uh, you would see it in our daily life, you know, when, when you're hungry, you meet your boss after his lunch, you meet the boss after his dinner, you'll really know what it means. Even for our own self, you know, when you think after your dinner, when you think after your lunch, you're much more calm and you're much more collected to take a decision. I think it's it's something really
really got to do with something with your digestive juices and your uh, brains there must be some connection i think the blood possibly rushes to the stomach in anticipation for food to come possibly, and so right, the supply right. to the brain gets cut off <laughs> absolutely something must be there in fact it's blasphemous to say this but you would even see this you know when swami of course adorns the human body he pretends to be human as much as he can you would even see this in swami you know when of course swami used to have that very very early lunch after aarti in the morning swami used to go inside and swami would come out after his brunch not not really a lunch mm. many times you would see that that would be the best time to make a prayer to swami <laughs> of course as i said i feel god is a reflection of what we think very true, and uh, very people true. would say this i have i have heard people advising others that you know wait let swami finish his lunch then you go and approach him he'll be easy so yad bhavam tad bhavati swami says and god is pure reaction reflection resound Absolutely. because you think that i'll be calm after lunch i'll remain calm only after lunch i think that is the way swami responded <laughs> and uh, as i said it's uh, probably a hint to all of us you know how you think and how you as swami would say don't think when you're angry don't make decisions when you're angry so here back to the story where uh, sampati is eaten his lunch is satiated his hunger and then he says okay what is the story what delayed you what made you you know take so long to return with your food and then uh, superna superna narrates an account which is very similar to jatayu because he sees that there is this monster like man who is with 20 arms and 10 heads who is taking this lady who is of indescribable beauty and she is all the while only wailing out and crying the name rama 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 and uh, superna also tries his bit to impede the progress of ravana but he's not able to and he says that is why i was delayed in trying to help that woman and uh, immediately sampati is able to connect this incident with what the sage had told him the sage chandrama had told him and even as he is describing the scene and giving the hint that you know ravana took sita's in the southern direction he finds that his wings are beginning to recover even as he is describing this and he says vanras do you see that what the sage told me is absolutely true i am already reviving in my strength and this is the shot in the arm the boost in morale that the vanara forces need to see they need to see that this is proceeding perfectly as per a master plan it is just that they are not aware of the master plan and even as they see the wings sprouting they feel so happy sampati says that in my young age i could have helped you but this much help i can give you i am telling you 100% certain that sita is sitting there in the ashokvana she is moaning and wailing now crying out to lord rama she is surrounded by ogresses and he gives a, a brief description of lanka the vanaras are stunned because this is the first like a confirmed news of course hanuman and his retinue have received and they are proceeding and almost reaching to where angada and his retinue are but for angada and the vanaras who have been disheartened by no result this is the first piece of con- confirm news they are getting so they even ask sampati how on earth are you giving such details such precise details sampati says do not underestimate the sight of a eagle you know even now if we google and see the eagle sight it can see from kilometers away so sampati says that if any one of you have it in you to be able to cross a hundred yojanas when you check up on the internet a yojana is defined as something like anywhere between 8 to 13 kilometers so on an average about 1000 kilometers 100 yojanas if we take an average of 10 so any one of you who has the ability to jump a 100 yojanas you can definitely come face to face with mother sita there and as you said sampati gives his advice sprouts a pair of wings and flies away and it's my guess that he probably flew towards rama to again complete and fulfill his destiny of having the darshan of lord narayana in the meanwhile all the vanaras have been rejuvenated and a second boost in the arm comes when hanuman and his retinue also join so all of them have gathered on the seashore they are very very thrilled with this development and the greatest thrill as swami writes they get is seeing sampati fly with the ram naam on his 
not lips on his beak maybe <laughs> and uh, this gives them the courage that you know with rama's name we can achieve anything and again if we go back to the metaphor of the mind we have to remember that the mind has to always engage in namasmarana because with rama nama no kaam no work will ever become impossible for the mind the mind can achieve the ultimate and when swami says master the mind be a mastermind it is about making the mind the slave making it an instrument to achieve all our tasks after that let it be under control by the use of namasmarana and it's a typical example because swami would often say that you know none of us are in a state where we don't get any of these thoughts of despair and worry and uh, fear and because this is so spontaneous these come from births and births of vasanas which we have samskaras which we have uh, gathered so swami would say that you know at this point in time when you know that swami is there to protect you and you you come and face to face with swami now how much are you able to counter each of those thoughts with this belief that swami is there and he'll be able to handle it i think that's typically what is happening here because these vanaras you know as you said they're coming from the west is come they coming from the north they they're all really disheartened and not all of them have come across the same uh, hints which they got like the saint swayam prabha or even uh, sampati i think this is again an indication of how when you completely involve yourself you know for sure even when you don't find results or when you when you've not met with success when you know that you have given your 100% that can give you a joy which is equivalent to when you succeed right because when you see probably only these monkeys which have come southward have really got the indication that we have come in the right direction those monkeys which went west and east and northwest and northeast they all actually would have searched for months with no results but all of them would be jubilant that now they have come to a point where they actually have a concrete evidence of where sita is and all of them are sitting together now the next part of the plan is who can jump 100 yojanas so the discussion begins then you know i'll just go back to what swami has said all the vanaras come there is a vanara by the name of vikata vikata says that i can jump about 30 yojanas that's all beyond that i cannot so maybe i can jump till the middle of the sea <laughs> and drown myself there it's 300 kilometers <laughs> not a right that's quite a bit but still but still very less enough. compared to 100 yojanas right i can go to bangalore and come back <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> then neela neela is an engineer i think nala and neela are the right. two engineers who build the bridge, bridge later on so neela says that i can jump about 40 yojanas but not more than that and uh, durdhara is another vanara who says that i can jump about 50 yojanas and nala the other engineer whom we spoke about he comes forward and he says that maybe 60 yojanas i can do but it's not good enough you know all are equal whether you are 30 40 50 or 60 because all of you are going to land in the sea that is when the crown prince himself angada you know he does all his calculation and he says you know what actually if i try my best using every sinew in my body every ounce of energy i can actually manage to jump 100 yojanas but there's only one problem i don't know if i'll have strength left in me to jump back and reach back to the shores here and plus i'll be going to lanka that is the kingdom of demons rakshasas i don't know if i'll have strength left to battle them so i am not sure about that but even as angada is saying this all the others say that no no you are the crown prince we can't you know you are the master you have so many servants you have to command one of us to do it you can't do it now out of loyalty to their crown prince they're saying this while angada's dilemma is of course i have servants but you can't add up the jumping capacity of servants right you can't add up four and tell four of you can do 100 there's nobody who can 
can do a hundred. And that is when Jambavanta points out to Hanuman. Hanuman is the only person who has the capacity to jump this. And we know the story of how Hanuman had gone to eat the sun, right? Yeah. So at that point in time, one of the curses as such, you know, uh, uh, he's hit by Indra's Vajra because of it, which he falls to the ground. And Vayudeva, that is the father of Hanuman is so upset with this. He withdraws his breath because of which nobody is able to breathe. At the end of which, everybody comes and bestows Hanuman with so many boons. But you know, again, you know, we have to go back to the metaphor of the mind. The mind has all the capacities, all the boons bestowed on it. And yet there is this worry, you know, people have this worry that all of a sudden it's a monkey. What if he misuses all these powers? Misuses, maybe not with vicious intent, innocently misuses it. And that is why a, a kind of curse is put on Hanuman, wherein it is said that Hanuman, unless reminded of your strength, you will not be aware of your prowess and your capabilities. And that is why now Angada realizes it is time to remind Hanuman of the strength that he possesses. And I feel that is what Swami has done to each one of us. He has told us that you are not lowly beings. You are a reflection of my own self, my dear ones. You are the Amruta Tattva. You are the immortal one. And he came down, he has come down to remind us of our true identity, of our true power and strength. So that like Hanuman, we too will be able to bound across this Bhavasagara in one leap. That is how Angada comes and you know, Angada praises Hanuman and reminds him of his prowess and gets Hanuman ready. And Hanuman is now ready to jump across. This is actually the beginning of the Sundara Kandam. Right. At this point, we'll quickly take a break, dear listeners. Because as we said, it's a new Kandam which is we will continue with that. Probably we will have to conclude with a little bit of how Hanuman starts on this journey. A lot of interesting things happen after this leap of his. Probably we will come to that in the next satsang. But right now we will take a short break. And on the other side of it we will conclude this week's afternoon satsang. Bye. 
ಗಣಿತ ಅಮಿತ ಸವಿನೀಲ ನೀರಜ ಸುಂದರಂ ಸಂಕಲ್ಪ ಗಣಿತ ಅಮಿತ ಸವಿನೀಲ ನೀರಜ ಸುಂದರಂ ಪಟಪೀಠ ಮಾನವು ತಡಿತ ರುಚಿ ಶುಚಿ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಜನಕ said we are in the beginning of the sundara kandam one of the most beautiful and profound parts in the ramayana itself and as we said hanuman has been reminded of his powers and he has been entrusted this task of jumping over the ocean and in the valmiki ramayana there is a very beautiful part and as i said going back to that saptaham which we had the speaker who spoke about this part he very beautifully describes this prayer which hanuman makes you know one thing is of course he is first question he asks himself is how high should i fly right mm, altitude and right i think in one of our discussions we did bring this up where he says the first level it is for the crows and such birds to fly or the second level it is the, in the words of pray and the third level is for uh, i mean he goes on thinking and finally he says that i cannot fly in any of these levels i have to fly above them because mm. i am a devotee of the lord you know i should not be equated with other beings and uh, birds and then finally he starts praying to four deities of course he takes rama's name but he prays to four deities and he says the first one is sun god right and the description given is why is he praying to sun god because of this past of his you know he wants to tell sun god that i'm going on rama's work i'm not trying to challenge you again <laughs> so don't uh, impede me don't bring any obstacles in my uh, journey and the second one he prays to is lord indra 
the reason why he plays to lord indra is of course one thing is anybody tries to be smarter than they are supposed to be the first person to get perturbed is lord indra as the stories in mythology go but the other reason is he has partnered with sugriva to defeat vali who is supposed to be the son of indra so he is mm. saying that you know if you want to take any kind of revenge don't take it now because i am going on uh, ramakarya and he also says apparently one of the things which hanuman says to lord indra is see whenever there is a yagna which is performed whenever there is yaga which is performed the first offering goes to you and this ravana always troubles people who do yagnas so i am going to defeat ravana hmm. so in a way there is a benefit for you so don't stop me <laughs> <laughs> that's what he prays to him and of course then he prays to lord vayu and uh, it is believed his that father. right it's his father and also for the flight you need for the flight you need the mean. favor of lord vayu so he prays to lord vayu and then finally he prays to brahma who is supposed to be the script writer of whatever happens on earth the creator and that's when he takes the leap that's the story according to the valmiki ramayana uh, before taking the leap he looks at all the other vanaras and you know that is what a sense of purpose and the knowledge of working for the lord can give you he tells all of you rest here you've all done lot of hard work it's almost superb you know it's like a hero giving the dialogue you were saying that there is no a protagonist or hero in in this but hanuman becomes the hero his dialogue you know he just says you all don't worry rest here drink fruits rejuvenate yourself refresh yourself i'll be back soon with the job accomplished you know this is amazing <laughs> that confidence that it gives and what he does is a leap actually because it's 100 yojanas we often call it a flight it is not as if hanuman was flying hanuman was not flying he just took a jump right. the leap was so huge that he crossed 100 yojanas with the leap another point of contention that comes is today we see the closest point between india and current day sri lanka is just about 30 kilometers wide across 100 yojanas is like 1000 kilometers so one wonders why is it that he had to jump 100 yojanas two three possible explanations are there and uh, scientifically going you know it is said that when hanuman landed in lanka he landed on a trikuta trikuta parvat trikuta meaning three peaks it is believed that lanka was so rich that there were three peaks one of i think of diamonds one of gold and one of silver three mountain peaks of these you know that supplied to lanka so modern day everyone believes that this trikuta parvat is what is adam's peak adam's peak is a famous mountain it is the highest point in sri lanka now you look at this in the ramayana it is described as the northernmost tip of lanka where hanuman lands that is adam's peak but today we look at adam's peak adam's peak lies about 400 kilometers inward it's almost at the southern point of sri lanka so geology and geography has changed a lot since those days it is possible that the northern part of sri lanka we see today was submerged under the ocean in those days and uh, there was lanka beyond adam's peak and much more okay. which has become submerged today so possibly that is one reason and another reason definitely is this is not something new we all know in fact the himalayas have taken birth because of this reason which is the continental drift right Uh, because the indian subcontinent was separate and as it's moving into asia because that pressure the, the and the peninsula stress, right the peninsula was more closer to the african uh, continent continent yes which is moving towards i think asia uh, there was a word for that the asian continent the landmass there ha uh, ha uh, pangea was right. the earlier mass 
uh, I forget the names. But yeah, so because of that, the Himalayan uh, mountain has rising, come right? up. So it is also possible that Lanka itself has moved, the landmass has moved closer to India. And these two reasons, you know, one is Adam's Peak, as I said, is about, I checked it on Google, it's about 470 to 480 kilometers mm. from the northern tip of Sri Lanka. So you can add about 500 kilometers there and possibly another 500 kilometers you can add for the movement, geological movement. So that's 1000 kilometers, it's about 100 yojanas. So this is the 100 yojanas which Hanuman had to jump and it is said that when Hanuman took the leap the force was such that trees everything got uprooted and that's another graphic and wonderful description that is there in Ramkadara Savaini as well as in Valmiki Ramayana I'm sure yes, I think that's an indication of what you said it was not a flight it was a leap hmm, because hmm. Swami says that when he jumps up the hill from which he jumps up actually goes to the netherworld that's the right underground that's the force with which he takes that leap and as you said the trees are flying and they're not able to look on at that that site because the wind is blowing and there's so much of impact in that. And when he does that, of course, the thing that he explodes with energy is Jai Shri Ram. This is the thing that we have seen often in the Ramkasar Savaini. It's written as victory to Rama. Of course, it, it might have been Jai Shri Ram. He shouts out the name of the Lord and jumps and again, you know, it shows that the mind is capable of achieving miracles when it is on the task that is set by the Lord and it can scale literally you know the devotee of the Lord as you said Hanuman has to go to the highest level it can scale the highest levels as long as it is on the Lord's mission so we have made an auspicious beginning for the Sundarakanda as we have promised we would like to stop here because from here there are a lot of details and some very very important insights and lessons that Swami has given we would like to play some of those discourse clips for all of you next week so the journey of Hanuman across the ocean is very similar to our journey, the journey of our mind across the Bhavasagara. So drawing these parallels and enjoying that metaphor, we would like to present it in great detail in a separate satsang that is next week. So this week we will stop here and I think we should carry home this lesson that our mind is a wonderful instrument that has been gifted to us by God. If only we manage to couple it every time with the Lord's name, there is no limit to what we can achieve. So dear listeners, with that we conclude. Till we meet you next week, this is Arvind and Prem from Team Radio Sai signing off. Thank you. Jai Sano. Sai Ram, you just heard an episode of our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 12th November 2015. Dear listeners, we hope you liked this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashanthi Nilayam.